0: Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. I'm Brent Long, and I'm here with Manny Singh. Today, we're covering a very common condition we see in the ED, appendicitis. Abdominal pain is one of the most common reasons to visit the ED, with about 3.4 million visits every year. Appendicitis is the most common condition requiring emergent surgery, with about 250,000 appendectomies performed every year. Unfortunately, we miss appendicitis in about 4% of kids and 6% of adults who present to the ED. Why do we miss it, and how can we improve? Before we get to these questions, let's review some of the basics of appendicitis.
1: Historically, the highest incidence of appendicitis occurs in 10 to 30 years old, with males compromising slightly more cases than females. The appendix is attached to the posterior medial wall of the cecum. While the attachment location is consistent, the tip of this 10-centimeter long intestinal finger can migrate, which complicates the clinical presentation of appendicitis. It can be located retrocecal, post- or pre pre-ilial, subcecal, pelvis, or in some cases migrate upward to present as right upper quadrant or epigastric pain. The pathophys behind appendicitis starts as intraluminal obstruction and subsequent engorgement distal to this obstruction. This initial compression leads to activation of visceral afferent nerve fibers, which produces a poorly discriminated pain in the central abdomen around the umbilicus. Eventually, bacteria multiply behind the obstruction, invade the appendix mucosa, and cause tissue necrosis, organ infarction, and eventual perforation. As the infection spreads into the peritoneum and bathes immediate surrounding abdominal structures, the pain migrates to the right lower quadrant due to somatic innervation. Brett, how does appendicitis classically present?
0: The classic symptom triad of appendicitis is right lower quadrant abdominal pain, anorexia, and nausea and vomiting, but it's not always that straightforward. We have signs like McBurney's point tenderness, Rav Singh's sign, the obturator sign, and SOAS sign, but these all vary in their sensitivity and specificity. While nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain are common in patients with appendicitis, they don't occur in 100% of patients. Figure two from the post has a great breakdown of the test characteristics of all of these findings. We do have several risk tools that can help us risk stratify patients for appendicitis. There's the Alvarado score, the appendicitis inflammatory response score, and the pediatric appendicitis score. Based on these scoring systems, low risk patients can be discharged without further workup. Intermediate patients probably need further evaluation with imaging, while high risk patients can be taken to the OR. But to be honest, I haven't met a surgeon yet who doesn't want further imaging. Although we think of appendicitis as a clinical diagnosis, there's just no individual sign, symptom, or lab value that can exclude appendicitis. Before we had the use of these prediction scoring systems and CT, clinical impression alone yielded a negative appendectomy rate of 20 to 40% and a diagnostic accuracy ranging from 58 to 92%. With labs, scoring systems, and imaging, we've brought the negative appendectomy rate to below 2%. But Manny, why do we miss appendicitis?
1: As an EM physician, when we think about appendicitis, we think about acute onset migratory right lower quadrant abdominal pain associated with nausea, vomiting, and poor appetite in the 10 to 30-year-old patient. When a patient presents with this history and has tenderness at McBurney's point, the diagnostic accuracy approaches 95%. Therefore, the simple explanation for why we miss appendicitis is that the patient in front of us is an outlier to our heuristic, and we fail to consider the diagnosis as a result. The actual factors that contribute to our diagnostic error are much more nuanced, and they are often the result of cognitive biases that we have during our workup.
0: Great point, Manny. There are some cognitive biases that can really derail our decision-making, as well as diagnostic errors that are unique to the outliers of our appendicitis heuristic. We're going to talk about several of these cognitive biases and errors. First, let's define cognitive bias. This was originally defined by O'Sullivan and Schofield as cognitive shortcuts used to aid our decision making. The problem with this is that cognitive bias can lead to error, and cognitive error is estimated to be responsible for about 30% of all errors within the ED. The first one is prototypical error. This is judging the likelihood of a diagnosis based on a typical prototype of that diagnosis. For example, with appendicitis, not all patients have right lower quadrant pain. The error is assuming that the patient without right lower quadrant pain can't have appendicitis. The next one is search satisfaction and confirmation bias. Search satisfaction is ceasing to look for further information or alternative answers when the first plausible solution is found. This occurs in that patient with abdominal pain who you think just has constipation. You obtain an x-ray, and the x-ray shows increased stool burden, so you automatically think the patient just has constipation. Omission bias is the tendency to judge harmful actions as worse or less moral than equally harmful inactions. We have issues with omission bias when we fail to obtain further imaging due to the potential risk of radiation in a patient who may have appendicitis multiple alternatives bias means many options on the differential diagnosis leads to uncertainty and so the physician reverts to a smaller subset of diagnoses with which they are familiar anchoring bias is a tendency to rely too heavily on one trait or piece of information when making decisions our last one is implicit bias which is attitudes or stereotypes that are not accessible through introspection that affect our understanding actions and decisions in an unconscious manner. Manny, with all this in mind, let's review some of these outliers.
1: There are many populations at risk for having misappendicitis outside the prototypical patient who is a 10 to 30-year-old male. Children are such a population. We're specifically looking at children ages 0 to 5 where the risk of appendectomy is 0.05%. That's six times lower than for children 10 to 20 years. Due to its rarity, they are one and a half times more likely to have appendicitis missed by their doctors compared to their older pediatric counterparts. As a result, perforation is a more common complication in children less than 5 years who are taken to the OR for appendectomy. So why are young children at risk for this misdiagnosis? One factor may be the reluctance to utilize CT in this population, given concern about ionizing radiation exposure. Given that children ages 0-5 to are notoriously bad at communicating their symptoms, this reluctance is most likely due to the uneasiness that a clinician feels when dosing these young children with a potentially mutagenic amount of radiation for a potentially inconclusive study. This type of biased thinking is known as emission bias. Clinicians are often more comfortable ordering an abdominal ultrasound, which is virtually risk-free. However, this imaging modality is technician-dependent and subject to greater possibility of incomplete image of the appendix or an inconclusive result. While the concern about radiation exposure from a CT is not negligible, it is worth noting that a single abdominal CT is equivalent to 3 years of natural background radiation. This amount can be reduced to 14 months of background radiation using techniques that can reduce the scanning range to only the lower abdomen and pelvis. Given that time equals bowel and that perforation can be rapidly fatal, Physicians should consider utilizing the gold-standard imaging modality of CT scans more frequently when our suspicion for appendicitis in toddlers is high.
0: Females are another patient population where we miss appendicitis more than males. The reason why is because we have additional gynecologic differential diagnoses. We need to think about ectopic pregnancy, ovarian torsion, PID, tubo ovarian abscess, UTI, and pyelonephritis as several of these can have potentially devastating complications. But we need to make sure we think about appendicitis in these patients.
1: Next, we have a subset of the female population, pregnant women. They are at risk for missed appendicitis, even though it's the most common non-obstetric surgical emergency. The diagnostic accuracy of appendicitis is lowest in the second trimester at 64% and highest in the third trimester at 88%. The high rate of misdiagnosis likely stems from the clinician's temptation to anchor on the patient being pregnant and providing a pregnancy-related diagnosis. Anchoring bias in an incomplete grasp of normal gravid physiology creates critical diagnostic errors. We can likely improve our diagnostic accuracy of appendicitis during pregnancy through awareness of this bias and by critically assessing which symptoms are appropriate during pregnancy and which are not. For example, a common pitfall in pregnant women is to attribute nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain to typical symptoms seen throughout normal pregnancy. In fact, nausea and vomiting are unusual after the first trimester and must be investigated as they remain reliable indicators of appendicitis during pregnancy. The pain from appendicitis is thought to localize to the right upper quadrant during pregnancy as the appendix migrates to that quadrant secondary to uterine hypertrophy. However, researchers are beginning to question this doctrine. As studies have shown, that the right lower quadrant pain remains more prevalent than right upper quadrant in pregnant women. Symptoms often seen in the general population, such as rebound and guarding, are less commonly encountered in pregnancy due to the abdominal wall laxity that develops to accommodate the uterus. Additionally, leukocytosis and CRP are less helpful in pregnancy since the white blood cell count in normal gravid physiology can be as high as sixteen thousand, and the CRP can remain deceptively low. Omission bias can appear in this population as well, due to similar opposition to CT in pregnant women, as in the pediatric population. Opponents cite the unnecessary exposure of the fetus to radiation, and their argument rests on a theoretical 1 in 1,000 increased chance of developing childhood cancer when abdominal pelvic CT used during pregnancy. The high safety profile of ultrasound has cemented it as the first-line abdominal imaging modality during pregnancy. It is worth noting that radiology performed ultrasound carries only 63% sensitivity for appendicitis and cannot be used to rule out the diagnosis. Thus, pregnant women with high suspicion for appendicitis in a negative ultrasound study should undergo CT, preferably reduced scan technique, or MRI if available as a next step in the workup as doing so will reduce the rate of misdiagnosis.
0: Patients older than 50 account for about 1 in 12 cases of appendicitis. Yet they have a perforation rate approaching 30%. There are multiple reasons why we miss the diagnosis of appendicitis in this patient population. First is difficulty just obtaining a good history and exam. Second, there's a wide differential in these patients. We need to think about acute mesenteric ischemia, abdominal aortic aneurysm, aortic dissection, intestinal volvulus, and obstruction. Atypical presentations of abdominal pain are more the rule than the exception due to distinct physiology in older patients. We need to perform a complete history, good exam, thoughtful lab work, and we need to use CT liberally. Black patients with appendicitis are more likely to be misdiagnosed than white adults. The study that produced these results didn't provide an explanation or hypothesis for this finding, but there are racial and ethnic disparities throughout healthcare. Black patients have longer ED waiting times as compared to non-black patients, they're assigned lower triage acuity scores than white patients, and black patients are more often treated at safety net hospitals that usually have fewer resources and have higher patient volumes. There are likely many cognitive biases and even institution-wide disparities affecting the discrepancy between black and non-black rates of missed appendicitis. As emergency physicians, we can close the gap in diagnostic error by acknowledging that we are missing a disproportionate number of cases in this population. Manny, with all this information, why does it matter and how do we improve?
1: This is important because for every 100 visits to the ED for abdominal pain, a third of them will be due to diagnostic error and two will be for missed appendicitis. Once appendicitis begins, Given time, it will invariably lead to perforation, which can be complicated by peritonitis or sepsis. Missing the diagnosis of appendicitis during a patient's initial visit puts them at risk for these dangerous complications, for which they will likely present to the ED again several hours to days after discharge. These repeat visits are associated with longer hospital stays with higher rates of morbidity and mortality. Delayed diagnosis and its complications account for why missed appendicitis is among the top three conditions cited in malpractice insurance claims in adults and children. Appendicitis is a straightforward diagnosis and well within our scope of practice as long as we keep our index of suspicion high. In fact, EPs and surgeons have equal capability to diagnose appendicitis, and studies have shown a negligible difference in rates of complications for patients diagnosed by EPs versus surgeons. Lowering the rate of misappendicitis in the ED can be accomplished through improving our awareness of cognitive biases that affect our medical decision-making, being mindful of the populations especially at risk for this misdiagnosis, and utilizing all labs and imaging at our disposal when suspicion for appendicitis is high.
0: Let's finish with some pearls. The first one is to utilize a good history, exam, and prediction scoring tool. The appendicitis inflammatory response score can be used for high-risk patients to rule in the disease. The Alvarado score with its high sensitivity and low-risk patients can be used to discharge patients. Second, don't be afraid to utilize further imaging, especially CT, for intermediate-risk patients, like pregnant women and children. The overwhelming majority of missed appendicitis is in these intermediate-risk patients. Third, train yourself to consider appendicitis in outlier populations like kids, pregnant women, older adults, and black patients. If we want to decrease the misdiagnosis rate of appendicitis among all patients who come to the ED, then we have to remain vigilant for appendicitis in these patient populations.
1: That rounds out our summary of this great post on appendicitis. Thanks for joining us on this podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Feel free to comment on our site and let us know if you have any feedback. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.